This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to the Smart Money Podcast, a series of financial tips for different life stages. Get your money right for your life. This podcast is brought to you by Discovery. I am Maya Fisher-French, and each week we chat to a money expert to find the answers to those pressing financial questions. So if you're a parent, you will know that you want your child to grow up to be financially independent, otherwise you'll be paying for them forever. <laughs> and raising children is a minefield emotionally as well as being a major investment. So to discuss money, parenting and raising financially savvy children, in studio we have Claire van Veek, financial advisor and a parent to four children. Welcome, Claire. Good day, Maya. So, Claire, I just wanted to chat to you a little bit. I'm sure you're seeing this as a financial advisor. There seems to be a big trend nowadays. For parents who support their children well past their sell-by date, you know, we're talking about kids at home still at the age of 25, at the age of 30, and this must be having a major impact on parents' finances and especially around retirement. Do you think this is a reality of the workplace and the environment or helicopter parenting? Very interesting question, Maya. So I have a 27-year-old, and he decided a couple of years ago to move out of the house of his own accord to try to figure out who he was and uh, what he really wants to do in life. And he kept on saying, well, I'm short of rent money. I'm short of food money. And I eventually got to the point where I said to him, well, you chose to move out, which I support, but... If you're not going to work and have do something, I don't mind what what it is, being a waiter, building houses, installing someone's geezer or fixing it. If you're not prepared to bring your part, I'm not prepared to subsidize you anymore. And that was a bit of a rude awakening to him. So I think, yes, as parents, we, we need to start setting boundaries and we need to feel comfortable with those boundaries. We've got way too much guilty parenting that is happening, i.e. we feel guilty because our kids can't find the job that they want, not a job, and therefore we we start to subsidize them. And that subsidy, as you said, is eating into our own planning, our own financial roadmap. We didn't plan on having a kid at home till the age of 30. No, that definitely, I don't think when I sat down and did a financial planner, that was the question that was even asked. And I think, you know, we, you and I were chatting about how we all grew up and things are very different. And it seems difficult, I suppose, for kids when they're surrounded by a different environment to understand the environment we grew up. And you can't say, when I was little, because it doesn't really matter to them. So how do we create and set the expectations still when they're young, maybe even when they're 15, 16, that, by the way, there's going to be a boundary here. There is going to be an expectation that you're going to have to start pulling your weight financially in this household. How, how do you have those conversations? I think those conversations or the introduction into that needs to start at a younger age. You can't just mollycoddle a kid till 16 and say, okay, well, now you've got to stop bringing your part. I think um, the way I'm doing with with my kids is rather interesting. They all have an investment account. They all have their own bank account with a, a card attached to it, and they have piggy banks. And let's say for argument's sake, you know, it's back to school and they wants a specific pencil case. I'll have a look at it and say, well, I'm prepared to pay X amount and you've got to put in the rest. And if she says, well, I'm not prepared to, then I say, well, we get you a basic pencil case. So I'm trying to teach them the value of money and, and what money does for them. Yeah, you are right. The way we grew up and our exposure to money is very different to the way our kids see money. My nine-year-old thinks money is a card. She doesn't understand. I want that. to peg that thought. I want to come back to that because I think that's so key. It's about about teaching children about actually rands and cents Absolutely. in a world that we're trying to go money go cashless. Um, so we may definitely come back to that point. But I also wanted to 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 find out from you um, as an advisor when you sit with with somebody who says to you, "Listen, 
you know, I've got, I've got my kids still living at home. And you can see quite clearly that this, this is, is, is weighing on their finances. This is going to prevent them from having a decent retirement. How do you engage the parent around that conversation? It's, it's a very interesting conversation. I've got a client who has a 30 year old who is still living at home. And let's also backtrack. This 30 year old actually has a job. It's not the job they want, mm. but it is a job. And I ask the question, why are you paying rent? And they're saying no. And I'm like, so the problem isn't the child, it's the parents. So it's a matter of saying to the parent, well, firstly, you, you're disabling your kid. You're disabling mm. your retirement. Mm. You're not teaching them anything. And by the time they get to 50, they're not going to have planned for their own retirement, let alone the impact on yours. Mm. So it is, it is one of those tough things to go in and say, you know, what you're doing is not in your best interests. It's causing dysfunctionality in your child. It's impairing your ability to achieve your retirement goals. And you need to stop it. And you need to stop feeling guilty about it. It is okay to tell your kid to stand on their own two feet. We've got to manage what their expectations of lifestyle is as well. It's okay to live on a box and and eat out of a microwave for a year. I've done it. I'm sure you've had We've those all moments. Done it. That's what I'm saying. It's that kind of, you know, I didn't have all of that. Um, you know, the facials and the hair and the nails that, that, that seem to be a basic necessity today. You know, again, someone has to have those conversations as a parent and thinking, and I love your analogy of, 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 or your, your example of, of the pencil case. You need a pencil case. Yes. Do you need that pencil case? Well, if you're prepared to pay in for the extra, you can have it. And I think that's part, got to be start, start to be part of the conversation. I agree 100%. You know, um, when we first got a car, firstly, our cars didn't cost what entry-level cars are now. I remember running out of money for fuel. And it wasn't knocking on mom and dad's door saying, I need money for petrol. It's, I walked. Mm. Our kids need to understand that that's how they're going to learn the lessons mm. of how to manage their money. And I think also, as a parent, some of the things that I think about to overcome the guilt factor is, you know what, I don't want my children supporting me in my retirement because I didn't make the right choices. So it's almost about saying, well, you know what? I'm going to draw a line, the, the line in the sand now. I'm going to make my child and enable my child to stand on their own two feet so that I'm not a responsibility of theirs in 20, 30 years' time. So I think we, if we also change that um, understanding ourselves and make sure that, that, that we are we're looking after our own retirement um, and, and not expecting them to fork out for us. I think, I think the point you've just made is critical. A lot of... Us, I'm, I'm in my forties. We are looking after our parents because retirement planning wasn't really key at that stage. It wasn't an option. They pulled out their preservation or pension funds and spent it on something and they had nothing to show for it afterwards. And if we learn from that, we can really be smart and savvy about this. I've long ago made that decision. I do not want my kids to co-fund me in retirement. So I'm prepared to make sacrifices. And you're quite right. I think I like your angle on that. To say to them, if I keep you at home, it means you're going to pay for me when I get there. So you make the choice. Do you want your freedom, your financial freedom? If not, well, stay at home. It's fine. You're going to look after me as well. Yes, get I, them to sign the paper in duplicate. Contract. <laughs> Here we go. Because you were actually talking about, you know, the other thing is, is, is a lot of that uh, drawing down on the Provident Fund, drawing down on the Pension Fund. We're seeing it a lot to pay for education costs. So how, one of the big things I see is, is it possible to school-proof your budget? So you're, you're, you're enrolling your child into school for the first time, six years old. How do you make sure that you've chosen a school that you can see through that to the to the end without depleting all of your retirement savings because schools fees 
they're no joke, huh? They, those things going up, up 9% per, per annum, and that's not a grade jump. And then you get the grade jump on top of it. So definitely between sort of grade 7 to grade 8, you could see a 20, 25% increase in your school fees. Absolutely. When I sit down with parents who are planning a child – not necessarily even pregnant, I start having this conversation then. It's a matter of, well, where are you living? What are the schools in your area that you would start to entertain? You've got to go to the schools. You've really got to find out what does it cost. I mean, you mentioned the 9% escalation, uh, inflation escalation is higher than normal CPI. And then you've got grade jumps in between that. And that's not counting in Everyone has an iPad. Mm. Everyone has new uniform each year. They, the school decides they want to change it. So those costs are pretty exorbitant. So you need to manage your expectation because your expectation is what you're going to transfer to your child. Decide the route you want to go based on 12, maybe 13 years of education. And then you might decide, well, where am I going to put the most money to, to give a good foundation? Am I going to look at normal private schools? Am I going to look at Model C schools? Or am I merely going to focus on making sure my kid has money for university should they choose to go to university? Those are critical things and crucial. A lot of people I speak to don't know how much university costs. They don't know how much um, grade 12 at a normal private school costs. And it depends on which private school you're talking about. You can go from 100 up to 300. (laughs) Absolutely. And that's without any of the, any of the extras. Absolutely. And, and I think it's so important that, that one does make those choices and of course start saving for them. I mean, at what, at what point do you start putting money away for your kids' education? As soon as possible. So a lot of people are starting to have kids later. And what they, you can't start saving for education in your thirties. You've missed out on your twenties. I mean, I've, I've had my young, well, my youngest when I was 40. I can't start saving at 40 for his education. There's a whole lot of other things involved. Well, in that's it. a very key point. You know, as you, as you, we're having our children later. So retirement's looming quicker. Um, you've got two, you've got some, you know, dual, uh, dual goals going on at the same time. Absolutely. When we fell pregnant, I, I thought, well, what's that saying about Joshua will be my retirement package? <laughs> and then again, it's not fair on him. So I had to change my mindset very quickly, but, um, You need to start saving. You need to have a plan. You need to have a goal that you're working towards. And the best way to do it is actually give a monetary value to it. Time value calculation of money. This is how much I'm going to need at different intervals. This is how much I need to start saving today with the 10% escalation and a 10% growth to keep up with that inflation. This is what I want to achieve. And you lock that money away. It's not there for, oh dear, um, we don't have enough money to go on our December holiday. Let's but don't worry, let's plunder the kids' education. Because you know what? A holiday is an education. <laughs> you can, can justify very, anything. It can very well be. <laughs> and I think we were also having this, this, this chat before we came on air about um, how much people plan and save for their wedding. Especially women. I mean, let's be honest. We, we really, you know, we have this image. We've some I mean, young girl. We know what we want and all the rest. And we save and we plan and we put the money away. But we don't do the same for our children um, or their futures. It is, it is a bit crazy. That's the short-termerism of, you know, our short-term financial goals. We want the instant quick uh, gratification. We want to be satisfied. You know, saving for a long-term education is almost intangible. Um, you, you can't very well go take 
pictures of the university sticker on the wall and like, okay, that's where my kid's going to go. It just doesn't have And your same... kid may not want to go to university, but then at least they've got the money to start a business. That's or, exactly or... right. So it's, it's a matter of prioritization and mature financial decisions. Hmm. That's actually what it's about. And being prepared to stick to a plan and a goal, even though it means sacrificing some of your short-term desires, if you want to put it that way. So talking about these short-term desires, um, some of them aren't even desires. They're just sort of like filling the car up with petrol and it's just gone and cost you an extra, whatever, 50 rand per litre, uh, per, per, not per litre, please don't panic. <laughs> I mean, per tank. <laughs> so, so when a parent sits with you and they say, okay, we, we, you know, we've just had our children. We want to do the best for them, but this is our limited budget. So what are your non-negotiables in that financial plan? My non-negotiables are aim for university. Choose a university, one close to you, find out what it's going to cost. You've got at least 18 years, if your baby's just been born, that you've got time to save. And the compounding effect of mm, interest mm, is phenomenal. Mm. We, we, we don't understand it until we start seeing it in action. Start saving immediately. So aim for university. Have your plan there. It's a part of your roadmap. Stick to it and then start working backwards. Say, well, okay, that's a university. Do I possibly want to go private high school or do I want to go model C? What do I want to do at primary school? Formative years, nursery school, very important, especially to someone like me. You know, those are the years, the foundations. If you get that right, you can save yourself a lot of money over time if the kids really get that good foundation. So choose how you want to do this, that financial number, that mm-hmm. big number. Plan it, put the money away. And do not spend that money. And I know 50 rand on fuel, but 50 rand on your chocolates, 50 rand on KFC, 50 rand on... What's, it's two, two cappuccinos. It's uh, a pack of cigarettes. Um, it's a pack of cigarettes. Mm, pack of, quit smoking. It'll help your premium as well. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and, and what about sort of preparing for the bad events that, that like you're not around to pay? For those, for the education. I mean, is that is that really non-negotiable for you in the financial plan? It's, it's crucial. Um, if you lose one of the income earners to a family or the breadwinner, education often is negatively impacted. So when you do a financial risk plan in the event of something going wrong, education has to has to form a foundation of that, especially if there's kids. There are phenomenal products in the market that have got different ways of working on risk, being able to help you save. Go do homework. Go investigate what can work for you. And not everything is unaffordable. Mm. There are things that are very reasonable but can kill two birds with one stone. And also one of the other things that I, I find, you know, people people come to retirement and they always want to leave their children an inheritance. And you and I both know that most people come to retirement, they don't even have enough money for their retirement, let alone leaving the children any inheritance. So, you know, we've been talking about children's education and that would be the priority. But is there a way also from a young age to think this I'm putting away so that I've got something for them when they're older, that that can be some kind of legacy um, that that. That I can hand my child. How you know? How would you build that in? What kind of products would you be using for 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 that, for example? Well, if I come back to my kids, they all have little flexible investments that are invested in underlying unit trusts, uh, in products that have got low fees at, uh, attached to them, and. By the time they reach 18, before they start working, we can pay all the money out, use it for university, buy a car, send them overseas on a one-way ticket. 
Oh, hopefully they do come back. <laughs> so I think there are vehicles available. You obviously have your traditional bank instruments that you can use. There are insurance products that are available. You've got a, a tax-free savings account that you can access should you want to do that. Uh, your kids can carry that on way past you mm, mm. actually handing over payment to them. But I do believe that it is one of those incredible calculations when they start to see how that money has grown and that compounded interest I'm back at compounding effect it is phenomenal and all of a sudden oddly enough a lot of kids may not want to disinvest that money when they hit 18 they might have seen how fantastic it is and that is a legacy you're leaving for them Mm -hmm. it gives them choices but the one thing I caution against is tying money up that they can't access I think there has to be some access to the money in help them set up a business if they don't want to go mm, to university, mm. buy a car. So those are my thoughts and mm. all my kids have got them. Mm. I must just, just tell you a story. My I, my son, when he was two, I started putting away 200 rand a month for him. I think somewhere along the way it went up to 300. And, but do you know that today it's about 120,000 rand? And it's, it's an, it's a dinner out. I mean, you don't even notice it. It is, that's the compounding effect. 100%. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. And it's a, it was such a small little bit amount of money every month, but it becomes this massive lump sum. And it's exactly that he's now 18. He doesn't want to touch that. It's, 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 it's starting a foundation for him. That, that's a great opportunity. And I, I wanted to mention this as well because the, he's, he's now 18 and he's, he's, he's got his first uh, part-time job. And you were talking a little bit earlier about how we've moved from card. We, we so kids only know about cards. They don't know about cash. And he got, you know, he had a bank card and he earned his first um, salary and he kept spending it and, and going into overdraft. Well, overspend. Yeah. Um, so he would be hit with eight rand fifty penalties every time he swiped his card. And I said to him, but you've got the app on your phone. Why are you not checking the balance? So he took a step back and he actually drew the cash every week that he, so he did a budget and he said, this is how much I want to spend every week. And he drew the money and he spent it in cash until he felt he had a good understanding concept of his budget. And now he's reverted back to using the card and he's managing it really, really well. And I think you, I want to talk about that. How do you get your young children to understand that there are rands and cents behind this plastic? So the piggy bank effect for me is is incredible. If I look at my three-year-old, he actually understands that money does stuff for you and it's not plastic. I think in the world that we travel in, you can send money via phones. You don't actually have to have physical cash. But the management of the cash then sometimes goes by the by because you don't know that actually behind that card is cash in an account. So with all my kids, I encourage them to have cash. So Shiloh has a weekly amount. How much do you want to take for tuck shop? How much do you actually want to take for pleasures during the week? And are you going to have something left over to carry to the following week? And that's a mindset. It's a behavior you start to encourage from, from young. Also, it's so much easier to manage a hundred rand than a thousand rand than 10,000 rand. So if you get the the behavior about managing money in uh, at a young age on small amounts of money. When they do get older and they have more cash at their disposal, they hopefully are not going to uh, start moving into bad financial habits because their foundation of managing money is good. And how do you decide how much money to give your kids? I mean, first was part-time jobs. You were saying you were 13 when you, I think I was 15 when I started my first job and you get a bit of money, but you know, you, you, yeah, pocket money. A lot of parents say, how much pocket money is enough? Should I be giving my children pocket money? Is it, should it be goal attached to a goal, uh, chores in the house? How do you think that 
to be managed. So the pocket money you're going to give your kids should be based on what you expect them to do with the pocket money. Do you want that money to be a part of an incentive when buying new trainers for them, new pencil cases, like my example earlier? Or is it purely money to spend at school, on tuck shop and pleasures for them? I think the younger your child is, the less they really need to do about with their money, but they need to have the concept of money. The older your kids get, obviously they do want more. And then it comes into the certain things such as birthday presents, Christmas presents, mm. how they're going to save towards that. And then, you know, I've got friends that their kids have to buy all their own toiletries. They have to pay their own transport. I have to tell you, they must be girls because my, um, I have tried that with my son and he doesn't think that deodorant is a particularly important item on the list. I think that's fantastic. <laughs> but what I find fascinating is these kids have figured out ways to spend as little as possible to save more money for their actual goals. So they've been incentivized differently. I think for each family it's different. Uh, for each child it's different. But I think the younger a child, don't don't spoil your kids too much because it might boomerang back on you. Absolutely. And I think also, Claire, what it means is that you have to have your own finances in order and actually have thought about all these things. Um, you actually have to understand in your own budget how much you are spending on your children so that you can allocate some sort of pocket money. So I think these are all really just part of a healthy family uh, finances overall. Um, so thank you very much, Claire, for joining us today. Join us for our next episode when we discuss how families make money decisions together. You've been listening to Smart Money, brought to you by Discovery. Get your money right for your life. This is CliffCentral.com.